and uh, while you're getting all settled in, uh, next door uh, you'll notice things are kind of disheveled a little bit. The electricians come tomorrow, but uh, there's uh, coffee and everything is there. It's just you'll see things kind of covered up, and there's, that's why. Okay? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, if you will. We're going to start a new chapter this morning, but a continuation of uh, the issues at Corinth that the Apostle Paul is uh, dealing with. And again, this is lesson 19, so if it took 19 lessons to get through chapter 1, then you can kind of count out it's going to take us another five years to get through the rest of the book. But uh, not on purpose, but just not to, not to just run. When I was in college, we had a Bible class, and they did a New Testament survey class. Took them a semester to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Took them a, a month of classes to go through Acts. Took them three weeks to go through Romans to Philemon. So you, you know, and then it took them the rest of the year to go through Hebrews to Revelation. So they missed our part, and they concentrate on part that doesn't belong to, you know, isn't in, in play. So anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you will, here, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's, again, Paul is, he's, the issue at Corinth and the reason for the immorality at Corinth was they're gravitating toward human wisdom. And that is the core issue. When anyone is ever having issues, just look at where they're getting their information from. And if they're getting it from information from not scripture, rightly divided, then they're going to get carried away into some bad ideas and bad thinking. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he begins with the negative. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the test. That's a negative. And the reason is, is, again, he's developing the issue out here, catch, latching on to what we just spent time looking in verse chapter 1, verse 18 to 31 there about the preaching of the cross and how the world views it and how we are to view it and the very fact there in verse 30 and 31 that Corinthian, the, the church at Corinth, and by the way, you and I today as well. So if you look around the church today, it's a mess because it's gravitated toward human wisdom. It's left the truth of God's word and it's over here in the stuff, in the stuff it should never be. When the, when the main guy that started the megachurch movements back in the, in, the, in the late 80s, early 90s, in the late 90s has an has a interview and says, we've done the church a, distur- a, a disservice by leaving the studying of the Word of God in the programs and all this other, then he's aware of what they has transpired for the group as a whole. And what Paul's beginning to do here is he's going to develop the issue out here, and he's going to do it by demonstrating methodology. 
And what Paul's going to do here is he's going to say, my methodology of teaching and communicating the truth, God's methodology is, is this, man is this, human wisdom is this, and guess what? They are not the same. And actually, they are diametrically opposed of each other. The reason the world hates the Bible is because the Bible is anti-man and positive toward God. Negative toward man, positive toward God. And what does man do? Bows its back and says, nope, 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 no. And yet, here we are. So he begins here in verse 1. By the way, if you look at verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see that, I determined? Paul has given very deliberate, careful, conscious thought into how he was going to teach and minister at Corinth. All right? He doesn't just, he could very easily, we'll see it here in a little bit, gone in with excellency of speech. He could have done that. But he doesn't. He, he, he's given some real serious thought to how he was going to minister to them at Corinth. So in the chapter here, chapter 2, he's going to demonstrate, he's going to make that distinguishing marks how God reveals ultimate wisdom and truth as opposed to how the world thinks they arrive at wisdom, at truth, and the methodology here is what is, is going to be the issue. And if, again, if, you're in, if you approach it God's way, then that's going to result of you coming to understand spiritual truth, spiritual understanding, having some spiritual, having the, being able to know God and find God. But if you don't and you come human wisdom way, okay, then you'll never arrive at spiritual truth spiritual understanding, and it's going to end up being God's, own, God's methodology. And how did he do that? Well, he revealed himself. If you look over there at verse 9, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor I, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. That's a great statement about human wisdom in the eye gate, the ear gate, and the heart gate. The eye gate, the scientific method, I see it, it's there, I've deduced it down. The ear gate, I hear it, that's the, okay, I hear it, so now I have it here, I hear it. And then the heart gate, that's the issue of faith. In those three mechanisms left to yourself, you will never come to know God. Well, but yeah, but Rick, we're all spiritual. Again, you're not coming to, why? Because that verse says no way. Now, never read verse 9 without reading verse 10, because what does verse 10 say? But God. See, here's man's methodology, eye, ear, and heart, but God has chosen something else. But God hath revealed them unto us, by the way, the them, the things that he has prepared for them that love him, by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So how does God reveal truth? How do you come to know God? Well, if you come God's way, God's method, where are you going to go? Now you're going to get into the Word of God, see? Because verse 13, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teach, but which the Holy Ghost teach comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So the last half of the chapter here, 
what Paul's going to do is he's going to lay out the mechanism on how God has revealed himself. He's not revealing himself in circumstances and the stuff out there. He's revealed himself in words on the pages of a book. And that's why when we get down in this, it's critical to understand that you do have God's word in a King James Bible and the pages in front of you. There they are. And we'll develop that as we move along. But for now, Paul, verse 1. I declare unto you, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Now, when he says the testimony of God, he's not testifying that God exists. Paul's not saying this is my idea, thought about who God is. No, this is God's testimony about himself. He's revealing himself. Direct divine revelation from God himself. This is, he, this is, here's the wisdom of God choosing specific words to be used to reveal himself. See, he's not over here in circumstances and this and that. And th- he's here is where we are. So the Paul here, it, again, it's not Paul saying, here's what I know about God or here's what I thought, or here's what, you know, the 10-foot Jesus at the end of the bed told me, and all that stuff. It's no, God has chosen to use specific words that teach who he is and what he's doing. And the Corinthians have moved away. They're, They're gravitating toward human wisdom in an attempt to understand God, in an attempt to understand spiritual truths and issues to come to meaning and purpose. And that whole, the whole idea of human wisdom, human philosophy, uh, are coming to answer, you know, to find the spiritual truth, spiritual understanding, or enlightening, looking for meaning and purpose, that methodology, Paul said, nope, that's not where God revealed himself. God's methodology is I'm, I'm using words over here that reveal me. And I'm going to reveal myself by the way of words. And every word, and, and, the, and he's using words that demonstrate, reveal who he is and what he's doing. So what Paul's doing with the Corinthians is, guys, if you want to know who God is, now you remember Corinth, where are we? We're in Greece. You know, the philosophers of the day and and all of the thought and all of the logic and Aristotle and Plato and all those guys are coming out of. And Paul's right in the middle of it. And he's like, and so are the Corinthian believers. And again, I remind you, these guys are believers. All right. Chapter 1, verse 2, they're called to be saints. They're justified. So we're not dealing with unbelievers. We're not, we're dealing with believers who have been who have been pulled into the world system of thought of how do we get to God, how do we understand that. And what Paul's doing here is, he's no, he's prov- God has provided humanity all that they need to know who God is and what he's doing today, and it's found on the pages of his book, the Scripture. And the only way anyone can ever experience or arrive at spiritual truth, spiritual understanding, is because God has literally spoken. He's revealed himself. He's breathed words 
inspiration, preservation. He's personally provided the purpose and who he is and to make everything, and he's made it available to all of humanity. Isn't that wonderful? It's the simplicity of it. And that's really, as we go through this, that's fascinating to me. It's just so simple, you know. But yet, what did Satan say to Eve in Genesis 3? Yea, hath God said. See, he knows. But see, the Lord said, I told you, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And Satan says what? You won't, you not surely die. So who's right, see? And that's really what Satan's asking him, asking Adam and Eve, because Adam's standing there. Which book's right? Which word is right? Mine or his? So in chapter 2 here, what Paul's going to do is he's going to demonstrate that the means by which humanity thinks they can know God is for God to step into and to do this, and God isn't working that way at all. He's rather using words. He's revealed himself in the words. He's not revealing himself in circumstances or situations. He's revealed himself in the word. You and I take the word in our inner man, and then in those circumstances, go live life. So he starts, verse 1. All that was introduction, okay? I, I thought about reviewing verse 30, but we spent four weeks in it, okay? And we're going to spend four weeks in one verse here. No, I'm just kidding, okay? That, somebody was listening to the Roman study in chapter 16, verse 25 and 20, we spent eight weeks in one verse. It can be done, and, but I don't want to do that. Otherwise, we'll never get done, and I'd like to get on with, okay? Verse 1, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech. Now, that's the negative, and it's not what Paul had resolved. He, he had resolved to... To verse 2, I determined, I determined, verse 4, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. So Paul has, has, has been very careful and, on how he's coming to the Corinthians. And again, he's not talking about, when he says they're not with excellency of speech, he's not talking about being lazy with your speech. He's not talking about using improper grammar, and I'm known for that. I make words up as I go sometimes, okay? And he's not talking about that. He's not ta you and I should not be lazy in our speech. We should be grammatically correct. You should have a big, a big vocabulary. Do you know why people use swear words? Because they have a limited vocabulary. They don't know how to articulate the guy being a numbskull without using a four-letter word. Well, how about numbskull and figure some things out? Go read the dictionary. Learn. See, that's, what, that's lazy. Swearing's a lazy man out of it. You just get it. He's not talking about that. When he says excellency of speech, he's talking about speech that is an art form, the mastery of oration, oratory. I was reading Church, Winston Churchill's speeches, okay? Now, to read them and then to listen to him say them are two different things, okay? You guys ever see that movie, The King's Speech, and they go through it and everything? The speech, you listen to Martin Luther King's speeches, and what are they? 
They move you. Why? Because it's a master. It's an art form. You listen to, you listen to Ronald Reagan and the speeches, and it, he could be telling you the sky's black and the ground's blue, and you believe him. Any of them, really. Why? It's, I heard a guy one time sell, say that that guy could sell ice cubes to Eskimos. And that's lit- it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a literary form. It's a mastery of speech. So when Paul says, I came not with excellency of speech, what he's talking about is I didn't come down there with, 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 a, with an art form to move you to get, see, there... This has to do with the mastery, the oration, the oratory, where the goal is to move them to do something. Many years ago, you guys know who, what Amway is? I don't even know if they're still around. Well, I went to an Amway meeting, you know, going to win the world. Woohoo! going to take it, and boom, you know. Little did I realize that I was sitting in a room full of everybody in my neighborhood. So where was I going to go do the business, you know? <laughs> I got to go find another neighborhood, you know. And, and everything, but the guy doing the presentation, you know what he did? He had that that excellency of speech, so much so that it caused a bunch of them to sign up. Movement, okay. There's an element in the in the methodology of the world that's that is striving to master the art of speech, and we have to be careful here. When we think about this, again, we're not talking about poor grammar or poor syntax or not using the proper words, but rather we're talking about words and speech and mastery of the art that does verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with what? Enticing words. See, of man's wisdom, enticement, trick, draw. To, to bring over here and to trick and deceive. He says, no, I've determined, verse 2, I made up my mind that I wasn't going to come down there and use trickery of words and use fanciful eschatology. What in the world is that, dude? Now you got me for an hour and I can move you to about the end times. No, not at all. That's, I mean, it's not bad to know the word. But when you're talking and teaching people, you got to stay down in the $2 words and out of the $10 words. Why? They don't understand it. They, and what, that's what Paul says. I determined, I've deliberately resolved that I'm not going to come with enticing words of man's wisdom, verse 4, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, we're going to talk about all that next time, I hope. Clock ticking back there. But the issue here is I'm not, going to res- I'm not going to come and I'm not going to use the methodology of enticing words. That issue of that, that, that art form of oration, of speech, for the simple purpose of enticing, to draw away, to, to move to do something that isn't the case. And Paul's very careful here. He, he's very aware that the Corinthians are valuing what? The oratory. Remember Apollos? He's there. What was he? Do you remember? Eloquent in the scriptures. Eloquent. 
he used the $8 words, not the 10, but the 8, and Paul's using the 2. We'll see that in just a minute here. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that when your desire is to teach and to preach and to get the truth of God's word into people, but it is not what the world is doing. The world is designed, the satanic policy of evil is designed to draw you away from. If he can blind the minds of the lost, 2 Corinthians 4, he takes the believer and he blinds the believer's mind by keeping it in the dark when it comes to the truth. By the way, verse 5 is the, is the problem. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If you stand in the mastery of oration, of, or of speech, then your, your, your faith is standing where? In the wisdom of man. And you know what the problem with that is? Is while today I might convince you, Paul will come along and he'll convince you more than I. So I've moved you to here, and then Paul does what? He moves you way over here to this idea. And then what do I have to do? Because I've got to stay paid, because I'm getting 50K a speech. Now I've got to come over here, and I've got to persuade you more to my side. See, now you're the tug of war. Now you're the rope, and, the, and that's what happens. That's the system. That's how what man does. There's the, this whole issue here. If, you, if people are drawn by the logic of human wisdom and words, philosophies, logic, then there will always be someone who can do it better. So what do you have to do if you're doing it? You've got to stay pushing the envelope. You guys know Toastmasters, people who help you learn? I looked into them because I thought about being a motivational speaker. Now, can you see me as a motivational speaker, you know? Well, I looked into it and decided not to. Because you know what they do? They, they have a system. And if you do the system, what are you going to do? You're going to be here, but you've got to keep up. So now you've got to pay an extra, and you've got to come over here. You know, they, they go way beyond more than just helping you speak publicly when you get up in it. That's human wisdom. Paul says you don't come to the truth by the way of the power of oration. How do you come to the truth? By the Spirit and the power of the Word. And that's in verse 4. So the mastery of speech here, verse 1, what does he say? I came not with excellency of speech. Verse 2, I've determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 4, and my speech and my priest. So Paul is deliberately making a decision to, be, to, to minister to the Corinthians, subsequently you and I, the church, the body of Christ as a whole, in such a manner that what is the focus? The focus isn't on Paul. The focus in verse 5 is in the power of God. You're going to stand over here in the word of God, rightly divided, in the power of God. That's where you're going to stand. If I'm standing over here in the wisdom of God, or I'm sorry, the wisdom of men, then what am I doing? Well, I'm good to go today until somebody persuades me better to come over back over here. Now I'm back over, you know, so now I'm, I'm tossed to and fro rather than stabilized and stability. 
So the question comes in this excellency of speech issue is, well, what you'll hear the critics say about Paul was, well, he, he was an idiot. He was just a dumb guy. If he didn't come in excellency of speech, that means he couldn't do it. He doesn't have the capacity. He doesn't have the ability to do it. Because some of us don't. So that's why he, you know, they ignore, by the way, they ignore verse 4 and 5. And they focus in on, well, my question is, is does, did Paul have the capacity? And did Paul have the ability to, come, come back over with me to Acts 22, to use the mastery of oration? And the answer is yes. And he probably could do it better than any. Look at Acts 22. And Paul here, verse 1, men, men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense which I made unto you. By the way, verse 40, he's speaking in the Hebrew tongue. Luke hears it, writes it in Greek, no problem. And then it moves from Greek into English, no problem. All still the word of God. Okay? But watch what Paul says in verse 3. I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. Who is Gamaliel? He's a leading rabbinical scholar of the day, oh, by the way, and today as well. He's quoted often in their circles today. See, Paul didn't go down here to the JC, junior college. He went to the big college, and then he went to the mastery level. Remember in Galatians 1, he says, I was above, in the Jews' religion, I was above mine equal. Nobody compared to me. He was able in chapter 9 of Acts, uh, come over to chapter 17. He was able to walk right in in chapter 9. He was able to, uh, you need Acts 17. He was able to walk right into the offices of the chief priest and the elders and demand the letters to go down there and kill the little flock and get them. He could walk right in as Saul of Tarsus. He, he didn't have to have an appointment. You know, when, and that's why in Saul in Acts 7, when they stoned Stephen and it says he was consenting to his death. You know what they did? Before they threw the first rock, they looked over at Saul of Tarsus in the corner, and he went, let's do it. He gave permission. He's not a dummy. He's actually very intelligent. Acts 17. So when someone says, could he have done it? Well, look at Acts 17. Now, in Acts 17, verse 15, and, and they that conducted Paul brought him into Athens. So where are we at? Athens. Look at 18.1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Now, that's where we're at in 1 Corinthians. But what happened here at Athens? Well, look down at verse 8, uh, well, verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the, whole, the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the marketplace with them that met with him. 
Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? And others some, He seemed, seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Who are the Epicureans and the Stoics? They're Greek philosophers. The Epicureans are the eat, drink, and marry because tomorrow we die, die crowd. That's who they are. The Stoics, <laughs> the Stoics are the ones that if it doesn't hurt, it ain't real. It's got to hurt, man. You have to deny yourself. The Stoics are into self-denial. By the way, that's Ecclesiastes 2, Ecclesiastes 8, Ecclesiastes 7. I told you the philosophers have ripped everything off out of the book of Ecclesiastes. They've ripped it off. They've plagiarized God's word. And but how did they do that? How, how in the world can you convince people that they are to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow they die? There's nothing after death. How do you do that? Oration. Mastery of speech. The idea, by the way, that idea still operates today, too, by the way. That's why Solomon in Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. It's just a rehash of the old stuff. Solomon, the wisest man to ever walk the earth outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, he had it nailed pretty good. You see, the only way to cause someone to say, you know what, I, need, I want the highest level of pleasure. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to... I'm, in my, I'm all about myself and my selfishness. Uh, love for the moment. How do you get people to do that? How do you get the masses to fall for it? It's the excellency of speech. It's mastery of the oration. The Stoics, Ecclesiastes 7 verse 3, the, the Stoics, they believe in self-denial. And then if you want to attain to the highest level, you have to attain that by prohibition. It has to hurt for it to be good. By the way, that's big time today. Okay? Again, how do they get there? Oration, mastery of it. Now watch Paul. Watch, watch verse 18. What is, verse 19. And they took him and brought him unto Arapagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. Now, the new doctrine is Jesus and the resurrection. By the way, they call him a babbler. Isn't that the way the world reacts to you sometimes? You're just, a you're just gums flapping in the wind. Verse 21, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. When you hear a Christian say, I want something new, a believer say that, what are they? They're an Athenian. They're going after the Greek philosophers. That's what they are. See? How do you know that? Verse 21 just said that. See? Now watch verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said... Ye men of Athens, I perceive that ye all, I'm sorry, that in all things ye are too 
superstitious. For as I passed by and behold your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needeth anything, seeing, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Isn't that interesting? Paul doesn't bat an eye, just walks right in there and starts. Now look at verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our own being, as certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Now, what did Paul, who did Paul just quote in verse 28? Well, the note here says, found in the writings of Artus and Cleanthes. I butchered the Greek names, I'm sorry. Who did he just quote? Their own poets. You see, Paul, he, how did Paul know to quote these two poets? Because he, he's well-read. He understood what the Greek poets taught. So he was well-read. When he tells Timothy to give attendance to reading, sometimes we focus in on just reading the Word of God. By the way, you should. Three chapters a day, Romans to Philemon, it'll transform your life over a year. But you should be well-read. And that's also what is on the plate here, is that Paul, he understood that to use their own poets against them. Because what did their own poets say, the end of verse 28? We're also his, whose offspring? God, creator God. You see what he's doing? He just laid out, you know, this whole argument in verse 22, 23, 24, 25, 26 here about God's not in temples. He's over here in human. He's made everything. And you know what? Your own writer said this too. So think about the Here are the Epicureans and the Stoics. Oh, we got this babbler down. We're beating him up. And he goes, okay, my turn. And he just mastery of oration, mastery of speech all over him to defeat him. So Paul had the, uh, by the way, verse 29, for as much then as we are the offspring of God. Now, notice how he uses the poet's own words, offspring. We ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto, and then he go, keeps going. By the way, again, 18.1, where does he go after this? He goes into Corinth, doesn't he? He just did mastery of speech, excellency of speech in Athens. Now, when you come back to chapter 2, or 1 Corinthians 2, now he goes into Corinth, verse 2, and he says, you know what I determined? Not to act like that. Because if I'm in excellency of speech with you guys, do you know where your faith is going to rest? And what I'm saying to you, not in the word of God and the spirit and the power of it. Because you're going to come over here and say what? Well, Paul said. And Paul's like, that's not my goal. The goal here isn't I said it. The goal here is here's God saying it. That's why above the doors coming in, there's that plaque here. It says, what saith the scripture? I got a lot of, I got a lot of opinions. 
You know what they say about opinions. They're like armpits. Everybody's got two of them at least, and they stink, okay, usually, all right? I have a lot of opinions about things, but that's not what the Word of God... When we come in here, what does the Word of God say? That's what we're after. He deliberately chose 2-2, for I determined not to know anything among you. He deliberately chose to deal with the Corinthians differently than he did with those folks at Athens. He had the ability to have the excellency of speech. But he chose not to. Why? So that they would come to understand some spirit, spiritual issues and how they would come to understand the methodology in which God uses specific words to reveal truth and wisdom and who he is and what he's doing. Not over here in all of this mumble jumble. I told you a couple weeks ago, I got in trouble too, about the self help books. All that's human wisdom. By the way, if you read those and you're still having issues, that means, number one, they don't work. And you, for you, they don't work. And number two, that mean, or that means you're not doing what those books ask you to do. It's pretty simple. <laughs> okay? My, and again, what's God's methodology? I chose not to do. I, I chose to go a different route with you. And then he says, verse 2, Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That'll draw us back up to verse 17 and 18. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. See? He goes, you know what I want to do with you guys at Corinth? Is I want to take you back to Calvary because Calvary, 130, is where the Lord has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, those unique aspects of it that we spent four weeks going through. He can't move them forward. By the way, down in verse 6, howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are, I'm in 2-6, I'm sorry, 2-6, them that are what? Perfect, mature, maturity. The Corinthians don't have any maturity. What are they, chapter 3, verse 1? They're carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. They, he, he wants to take them to the next level of doctrine, but he can't because what are they? They're over here valuing human wisdom and going about to know God through human wisdom, human method, methodology. And Paul says, I, can't, I will not violate the Spirit's ministry and dump a bunch of new on you. We got to get you fixed. We got to... The corrective doctrines got to come in. So when you come back to 2-2, again, after leaving Athens, where he dealt with the philosophers, mastery of oration, he comes to Corinth, says, I'm doing things different because you need to understand God's methodology here is different than the world's methodology. 
And by the way, God's word works. The world's stuff doesn't. It just sends you on a big circle. A dear friend of mine, he, him and I would argue, and we would argue in circles. Used to frustrate the dickens out of me. Let's get to an end. And finally I said, no more. Your circular thinking is killing me here. But that was who he was, and we argued out and talked. And not argued in a bad way, just discussed. We had a discussion, okay? Well, that's what human wisdom does, runs you in circles. Verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you, 2-2, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Again, draws us back out to that issue of the cross where everything hangs for you and I, everything is at Calvary. You have an issue, you take it back to Calvary. You, got an, you go back, we start at Calvary. Your Christian life started in the graveyard. Your eternal life started in an empty tomb. That's where you got to go back to, moving forward. Then he says, verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. By the way, the excellency of speech, and then in verse 4, the enticing words. Look, look back at the end of Romans. Do this while I'm thinking about it. Romans 16. Though the enticing words, the excellency of speech, it ought to dry, draw your mind back. Excuse me. McDonald's coffee. Whoa. It's only the best time going one time, by the way. I'll just <laughs> let you know. Draw you back to this link here from the, in the epistle, 1617. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine, now which ye have learned. That, to me, is the, is the whole of it. Not any doctrine, but the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. By the way, avoid them. Don't go to lunch. Don't hang out with them. You're done. You cut them off. Why? A little love and love at the whole lump. They're just going to corrupt you. You're just going to continually go into big circles. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. Self-interest. If I'm getting paid to give you a speech, and then all of a sudden I don't do that and I do something else, what just happened to my pocketbook in the middle? It got hit, hit didn't it? So my own belly says what? Keep giving the same speech over, make it a little better, a little more enticing. Let's use these different words, and let's develop this up. So now I keep getting what come in. Boom. But see, that's not God's methodology. That's human. That's humanity. That's the way man thinks about it. How does he do it? By good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Simple there just meaning that simplistic approach to things, not simply not a simple mind. When I drove school bus and we, we dro I drove special ed buses, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a simplicity here and thinking. Again, what are they doing? They're serving their self-interest. How, how are they moving the masses? Good words and fair speeches. Those words that are designed to move you to, in an emotional movement and the speeches is to confirm it and to nail the job done where you're going to sign on the bottom line. You're going to amway it up. That's what they're trying to do. So when Paul, back here in chapter 2 now, of 1 Corinthians, 
that's the point. Paul's point, honestly, verse 5, that your faith should not stand in wisdom of men but in the power of God. Paul's point is, is your faith doesn't stand in what I'm telling you. It stands in what God's word is telling you. And again, that's Paul's point. Paul here, and, and by the way, the rest of chapter 2, he's going to develop that out, that, that the specific words that God's chosen to use, every word's critical to get the job done. Paul's like, I'm just the messenger. I'm just the apostle. And I'm not the issue. So that's why he says, I'm not using excellency of speech. I deliberately decided to, to, not, to not come and know anything among you other than Jesus Christ crucified. And then in verse 3, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Well, that's a little opposite of human wisdom, isn't it? Because humanity doesn't want to look weak. They don't want to look fear afraid. They don't want to tremble. They want to do what? Me macho. Me, you know, I go to the gym and I work out and I do this and that. And I remember, remember, you know. And they bulk up and they beef their attitudes up. So he's contrasting in verse 3. His message, his methodology with the popular world thought methodology that's familiar to all. And you know what? The Corinthians did the same thing. Chapter, four, chapter 2, verse 3. What did the, the Corinthians don't want? Look, look over at 2 Corinthians 10. They don't want, they don't want Paul to be their pastor, if you will. They don't want Paul to be the front man. You know why? They don't like the way he looks. They don't like the way he dresses. I'm in a, I'm in a normal suit here. I got a couple suits that I wear that are a little too big. And they're too big because I've lost about 80 pounds almost. Almost 80. I'm not quite there. I keep fluctuating. Every hike I go on, a little more and a little less. And the thing is, is, you know, somebody asked me, well, why don't you get a new suit? I can't afford it. <laughs> Have you seen suits lately? You know, I found a place that they're 250 bucks, but then I go in and they only last a couple months, and then I've done, the seams have done fell out of them, you know. And, but, so I took, by the way, I sideline, I don't know why I get into this. I went to the tailor, to the cleaners, and they got a tailor, and the lady is measuring it up, and she's like, well, these two belt buckles are going to touch. <laughs> I don't care. Nobody sees my belt buckle, you know. So she did them up, and well, I lost some more weight. And I go, well, I guess you can't overlap those belt buckles anymore, can you? You know, I wear that suit out. But what is the world? Oh no, he's got to be in the Jonathan Banks and and the Joseph Banks and all this. And and why? Because you got to look right. Now I'm not talking about don't look dumpy. See, look at Second Corinthians ten. That's why Paul says, I I come with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. He's talking about, I'm contrasting my methodology against the world's method. How does the world think? 2 Corinthians 10, look at verse 7. And now Paul, again, talking to the Corinthians. Do ye look on things that are after the outward appearance? Well, the Corinthians were. The Corinthians were a very wealthy church, wealthy group. They lived in a very fluential and, and wealthy part of the world. If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ 
let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. The Corinthians were using the wrong standard to measure the truth. What were they using in verse 7? The outward appearance. God's got to be blessing them. He's driving a new Lincoln. Woo! He's got a new suit on. By the way, now I'm going to show up with a new suit, and they're going to wonder if I got a pay raise. <laughs> you know, well, maybe. I don't know. That's up to you guys, okay? But the thing is, God must be blessing them people. Look at how many people are. Do you know that God never worked in the big? He's always worked in the little. Noah, one man, build an ark. Out of all the millions of people, one guy. Eight souls on that ark. Gideon. Gideon started with thousands down to 300. What's Why? Because the power isn't in you. The power is in what? The Word of God. See? March around Jericho. Boom, boom. You know, do all that stuff. How in the world could you do that? It's, it's militarily unthinkable that they could have beat that city that way. And yet they did. Why? Because the Word of God said, you do this and I'll do that. <laughs> Look at verse, uh, where did we stop? Seven. Look at verse 10. For his letters say they, his letters, Paul's letters, say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. You see, the Corinthians were valuing that outward appearance, and how was, what was Paul's bodily appearance? It was weak. Well, if you look your eyes over into chapter 11, start there in verse 23 and go down to the end of that chapter, and you're of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. You get physically beat up, you ain't going to be the prettiest guy in the room. You're not. It's just not going to happen. Even with modern medicine, it doesn't happen. You see, what, what were they looking at? The point here in chapter 10 is you guys are looking at the wrong thing. His letters are weighty and powerful. What was his letters? They were the Word of God. And that's what two, chapter 2 is going to develop. You see, when you think about this, Paul was able to quote the Greek prophets. He could have used all of that oration, excellency of speech, but he didn't. And rather, he's come to them in God's methodology. By the way, that's counter to culture. And again, Paul is clearly communicating truth here. You guys are eyeballing the outside. I want to look at the inside. By the way, look at verse 10. His speech is what? Contemptible. They hated it. When Paul stood up to, to preach and to teach them, you know what they did? They cringed. They went, oh, no, he's using that rudimentary stuff again. Verse 11, Paul didn't use religious speak. He used truth. Verse 11, let such a one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also in deed when we are present. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. 
but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are what? Not what? That is the wrong way to measure truth. Paul's like, I ain't comparing myself to any of you guys. I'm just up here giving you the truth. Comparing. They're using a methodology to arrive at truth based upon an outward appearance, based upon one's ability to communicate, one's ability to hold the group, get you crying one moment, get you laughing the next, get you to walk the aisle, fill up the offering plates, all of that. And, and Paul's like, nope, that is anti-God's method. God's not doing that. You want to fill up the offering box back there? The Word of God works effectually in you that believe. That means the Word of God saying, you saying, hey, this place is important to me. I want it to be around for the next 100 years if the Lord tarries, and let's get her done. And I'm going to do my part. That's what, that's, that doesn't me up here going, you know, being a chicken on a hot plate up here, dancing around doing things for you. Not at all. Now, keep reading, verse 13. we got five minutes. You're probably ready for this oration to be done. Verse 13. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. That's a great verse on how Paul thought about finances and the ministry and how far we're going to do ministry. When the money runs out, we're done. But somebody gave money to you, to me, to get to you at Corinth. And that's why he'll say in chapter 11, the care of the church is daily. And he'll tell them, I robbed churches to get to you. See, they're looking at this outwardly. Okay, verse 15. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labor, but having hope when your faith is increased that we will be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. And that's the thing. You want to, the giving, financial support comes from within. It doesn't come from, all right, we're going to give my 10%, you know. It comes from, hey, I got something going on here. I am enjoying the doctrine, and I want it to be here for a while and get in support of. Chapter 11, verse 6, 11, 6. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Notice, rude in speech. By the way, not, not rude, but rude, not rude is in crude. That's the word I was looking for. Rude and rudimentary, elementary. The, keep it simple. The simplicity, he just told them back there in verse 3. From the simplicity that is in Christ, by, by the, also he's not rude in behavior. Rude in simple, unsophisticated speech. Why? Because he's not promoting himself. Who's he promoting? The Lord Jesus Christ. So when you come back to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians in verse 3, He's deliberately, when he says, but I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trend, he's deliberately distancing himself from the others. Uh, by the way, we left that thing there in uh, 2 Corinthians 11. Run back there just real quick, just if you will. 2 Corinthians 11. Look down at verse 19 and 20. This is how desperate 
human wisdom method, methodology gets. Verse 19, but ye suffer fools gladly, seeing yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. Now think about that. The Corinthians, they're chasing the excellency of speech, the mastery of oration, human wisdom, to the point that they're allowing themselves to be dragged into bondage. In other words, they're allowing themselves to be devoured. They're allowing themselves to be taken of. In other words, it's going to be $25,000 a speaker. So who's got the $25K? Let's go. Who's and motivated to get it. And if you don't get it, then we're going to come down there and beat on you, smite you. That physically, literally physical violence. Because what happens when you say, I don't want that? I want God's word. What do they do? They take their toys and go home, don't they? They leave. You see, the Corinthians, now come back to 1 Corinthians 2. That stuff in chapter 11, is, it's, it's very insightful about how human wisdom has gotten in and the believers have left and they're allowing physical violence to happen to them because they don't want that human wisdom anymore. Chapter 2, verse 3, again, Paul's deliberately distancing himself from the other methodology. So why is Paul doing this? Well, look at, you're in 1 Corinthians, look at chapter 4. Oh, it's not 4, it's 2 Corinthians 4. Well, just look at, just go back to 1 Corinthians 2. And look at verse 5. Why is Paul doing this? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul doesn't want some, anyone to have confidence in any other man than the man, Christ Jesus. We're to have confidence in what's written. We're to rest in the authority of God's word. Think about the simplicity of God's word. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's simple. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's simple. Simple little letters, little words. There's to be no glorying. Again, 321, therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. So when he says weak and fear and trembling, the reason he brings this up is to demonstrate that what he's doing and teaching, God's methodology is opposite of the world's methodology. And what Paul is doing is not laying out, depending upon his own resources, and he's like, nope, I'm dependent upon someone else, and that someone else is God. And what he did for me, and what he's and who he's made my Savior unto me. 
chapter 1, verse 36. So Paul says that, and then next time we'll get into verse 4 and 5, because that's the answer to verse 3. How can I approach someone and be in weakness and in fear and in much trembling because where I'm standing isn't in the power of men, it's in the power of God. And I'm okay to be that way because there's an inner man issue, the Spirit of God and the power of God working in me that comes from the Word of God working in me. And you know what? I don't have to be the issue because he's the issue. Man's world, world, men's wisdom, worldly wisdom says, no, 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 you're the issue. And you can't be, see. Okay? So a lot of things going on, a lot of moving character parts here in 1 Corinthians 2. By the way, I had a guy ask me one time, how many people come to your church? And I said, more than Noah had on the ark. And he's like, oh, well, how many was that? I go, oh, Eight. You know, I think we had nine at the time, you know. And he goes, really? I go, yeah, and we count kids, too. We don't just count adults. So, why? But what does the world say? You guys are insignificant. You're little. We will never be anywhere on the pages of church history, but yet we'll be right where we're supposed to be because we're with the truth of God's word. Okay? All right, next time we'll pick up in verse 4 and, uh, and 5 and nail those down, all right? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we have it. We can study it and look into these things and gain the wisdom that you would have for us to have in our daily lives now and in all of eternity. In your name we pray, amen. All right, be back here at 11.